This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show. Best of the rest. Best of the rest. Best of the rest. Best of the rest. Any comics podcast? Let's hear it. Best of the rest, an indie comics podcast. This is not two guys with questionable technical skills. <laughs> well, I don't know. My technical skills have been highly in place twenty years ago. Well, maybe not uh, as much now. Me too. I guess you could say that. So anyway, ah! it's all this newfangled <laughs> modern stuff. That... Yeah, I could write me some Fortran back in the day. Ooh, that's yeah. That's actually, I know Fortran is still being used in. Scientific and engineering places, but anyway, we are getting way off track and talking about stuff. That Man, it didn't, take, it, didn't, it didn't take us ten seconds to get off track. Sounds like a theme for the night. I know, but we're talking about Fortran. We are. There's a lot of people with question marks over their head now. I was like, "What the hell are they talking about?" <laughs> exactly. So, well, at least everybody kind of knows what that is. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll yeah, but anyway, how was your red sauce tonight? My chili was excellent. It was Texas red, proper Texas chili. Not that but there was no no beans in it. How's it got That's any texture? Because proper, it's the texture comes from the beef and the masa harina. It's put in there. It's, it's good stuff. It's proper chili, not that stuff Ronnie makes. I don't know. I'm here in Oklahoma, and I was talking to some people from Texas, and they had they were offering some chili. I mean, I'm only about 30 miles from the border, and I asked, well, is it, got, is it Texas chili or everybody else's chili? And they go, what do you want Texas chili? I go, it's chili without beans, apparently, and they'd never heard of that. And there were some people from Texas. Are they native Texans? I don't know. They're close. They were clo- coming up from close to the border with Mexico. Hmm. Well, there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, misguided Texans as well. I mean, uh, uh. Like uh, Sparkman's wife, she puts beans in chili, and she's a native Texan. But she's got some, I think, uh, I think he told me she's got Ohio people in her ancestry. So she's kind of got an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty then. So but anyway. Alienated Sparkman. But anyway, we're not here to about talk about chili. We're not here to talk about fortune. We're here to talk about independent comics. And all that that implies, yes. Exactly. So what have you been reading lately? A couple of things. Well, one thing that we're going to talk about a little bit tonight is Jazz Maynard. I've been reading that. Uh, still following along with Ghost Money. Oh, so we got a new love in our life of, like, Lion's Forge. Lion's Forge is, yeah, they're becoming one of my favorite publishers. That They're really doing a good job. With Catalyst Prime, which we haven't talked about in depth. We need to at some point. Well, we attempted to at one point, but that's a lost episode that cannot be recovered from the ether. But they're also doing this magnetic collection, which we talked about ghost ghost money is part of that. And Jazz Maynard is also part of that. And that's primarily foreign comics that... Lion Forge has licensed and are translating and printing. So is that going to be mostly European artists, or are they going to take from other regions? Well, I don't – the two that I have read 
and the other one that I know about, the, the two that I've read, Ghost Money and Jazz Maynard. Ghost Money was the French comic. Jazz Maynard is Spanish. I think the other one, Aberato, I haven't read that, but I know it's one that they put out. I think it's also a French comic, so I don't – they haven't done anything other than European comics that I know of. Well, yeah, I think I remember reading something about the Magnetic Collection – is their means of introducing uh, people to European comics. So I think that's like almost the whole point. Yeah. And they're doing a good so, job. They're selecting some good ones. I really liked Ghost Money, and I'm really liking Jazz Maynard. Do you think that they, uh, when they were published in Europe, that they were under the same card stock and the same kind of paper? So, I mean, it's this is some nice you know, stock and f- nice feeling uh, comics that they're putting out. I don't know. That's a good, good question. I have no idea. And, you know, I'm kind of noticing that, that a lot of the independent small press publishers are, are going to this nice card stock. And I know vault was hot for a little while because people were buying like heathen and some other books and they were submitting them to be graded. And there was something, it was seemed to be, getting a lot of 9.9s and 10s back from CGCs. And there's some people that just collect those high uh, graded books. doesn't matter what the book is. They just want 9.9s and 10s because they're so rare. Right. And I know there was a big gold rush on the vault comics. And, you know, I can see that with the cardstock here on the um, magnetic press ones being kind of doing the same. And they're still just 399. Right. That's... I don't know. That's a good speculation. I think there is something to the fact that they're catering maybe to the collector. But on the other hand, you would think, okay, if they're going to do that, they might do that on issue number one, because that's the one that everybody wants, is it, or most more than anything else, and then go to less expensive pr- production with subsequent issues. Well, are number ones as important in miniseries as they are in ongoing series? So Probably if you've got either. if you got a six issue series, does it really matter what number one is? That's a good point as well. I may not. It may not. Have. I don't know. It's it's interesting, and at some point, I'd like to talk to somebody in the industry, kind of kind of the the business behind it and the thoughts, and you know, historically what they've seen, because I'm just fascinated with some of the decisions they make and where you're starting to see a bunch of publishers start to go to where they, you know, I wonder if the ongoing is going to be kind of phased out for, except for like key popular characters and everything's going to be mini series or limited series and the characters in the universe or characters in, in the, the world kind of come in and out. That's, that's a good question. It, and it, Really, we could, boy, we could get into a discussion on this because I was recently here just a couple of weeks ago thinking about, I still may do it rereading Crisis on Infinite Earths because I've never, I've read part of it. I've never read it to completion. Ah, uh, yes. The, the middle eighties when they were very verbose. Right. It, yeah. it, they were like, I think they were a double. Sized and there's word balloons all throughout them. So it, it takes a good sitting to kind of well, get through. That was it. a, you know, and the whole purpose of Crisis on Infinite Earth was to get rid of the DC multiverse 
and to mm-hmm. consolidate things down. And there's an introduction to the book that Marv Wolfman wrote because he was the author of, and he was talking about when he first pitched this idea to DC back in the mid seventy, mid to late seventies. His idea was a twelve issue limited series. And when he first pitched this idea, DC told him flat out, it won't work. People will not buy a limited series. It's just... And that also, during that time, people were leery of number one issues because it was a new comic, untried. They wanted the comics that had high numbers, the 200s, the 300s, you know, the, the action comics, the Batmans, detective comics... Spider-Man, uh, all these others. That's that was what the people were wanting, and it it just struck me as extremely fascinating of how things have turned around. Because, like you say, it looks like the limited series is becoming the direction that that everybody's going in. Well, it wasn't a big thing like in the '60s and the '70s. You had, um. You had ongoing titles, but they were like Tales to Astonish or Brave and the Bold, where there were ongoing series, but it wasn't it, the series weren't tied to characters, and you would have characters come in and out. Right. Um, I mean, I was looking because I was reading, and I guess we're not talking really independent comics yet and everything, because I was reading today about uh, one of the big specs going on now is they think Teen Titans is going to. Um, is going to go big because you're going to have the live action Teen Titans off the DC streaming. There's going to be the Teen Titans Go movie, and I think Will Arnett, on the, or who's going to be in that, or Will Arquette, whoever the voice of Batman in the Batman Lego movie, is going to be in in that. And um, and there's a few other things. And so they were speculating on Teen Titan books, and the the first appearance of the Teen Titans was in Brave and the Bold, right. So you'd have, and it's like Brave and the Bold 58, and this is like night, and this is, I think, the late 50s, I want to think. But you had titles like, and that's, you know, Brave and the Bold, that's where the Justice League was introduced. That was where the Teen Titans was introduced. That was where, I think, Hawkman, and he had all these characters. So you didn't have a series come out of this new character, and they got their ongoing and everything. They were introduced in these, I don't know, titles like that. I mean... I've kind of gotten back into like some of the, the EC stuff. I'm wanting to start uh, getting some like tales from the crypt and uh, some of the weird science fiction and some of the pre-code books like that. Right. Like, you know, so you, but, but they're, they're not character ongoings. They're more genre ongoings. And it's it's interesting that we don't have genre ongoings now. Right, 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 because you got to either have a character ongoing, or it's going to be a mini series on the character or team ongoing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm seeing what you're saying, and it's, but it's it's really fascinating because that's, and I'm not sure what the reason for this, and it's also was amusing to me to note that Marv Wolfman was talking about. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths being a 12-issue miniseries. I'm not sure they would call that a miniseries now. Was it a miniseries? I almost want to think the title said it was a 12-issue maxi-series. I, now that I think about it. Maybe they it. called it that. I don't know. But 
to him at that period of time, 12 issues was a fairly limited series. I don't think they, that, anybody that was once that. a month. Yeah. Correct? It was once a month. And they no, had, I, they had tie-ins with all some of the other books with uh, agreed. I mean, it wasn't just those, tw- those 12 issues were the core and they had tie-ins with other titles, which they do a lot in DC and Marvel, both and some in Valiant and others. But I don't, th- it's just, I was thinking in that time period, if somebody suggested a four issue miniseries, which is becoming very common today, I don't think anybody would have even <laughs> looked at you seriously. It was like, you know, it, because they were of the mindset that it took a, at least half a dozen issues before a reader would decide whether or not they were going to stay with a title. Mm-hmm. And so and we can discuss ad nauseum, I suppose, as to why we're moving in that direction of the the short series. And it does well, tie into in that that's, that's I think that's a large part of it. They're 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 doing gearing towards the trades. And even on the ongoing issues, the big ones like Batman and detective comics, you know, now they do four or five, maybe six issue arcs. And I think those are geared towards the trades because, you know, they come out with that arc in a trade paperback. Well, yeah, it's interesting times and all that. And I think didn't secret wars come out before crisis. So didn't DC have that to kind of see how well that did. And then, Decided to do theirs? I don't know. I'm not that much on Marvel, so I don't, Mar- Mar- Marvel's history is somewhat hazy to me. Well, I know they came out around the same time because I think most people use Crisis and Secret Wars to demarc when we switched from the Bronze Age to the Copper Age. Well, it'd have to be the instant time because when did when did Shooter come on as that was the late. Well, Shooter was writing Legion of Superheroes in the 60s. I'm, I'm trying. When did he become editor-in-chief of Marvel? Was that the late 70s? I know he was doing DC in the 60s, and then he went over to Marvel. I don't know when he became editor-in-chief. All right. I've got to look this up. Oh. And I promise, listeners, we'll eventually get to independent comics. Well, this I think this all ties in, because... Well, yeah, it's the... I, and yeah, yeah, because I've been having some thoughts on it too. Because uh, I've been really di- deep diving into pre-code books, and you know that's mostly going to be uh, Golden Age, right? And so that's your ECs and other things, and you know pre-Silver Age, uh, pre-Showcase Four, and I guess what. Is the, the the limiting or the the, the mark for the, the Silver Age is when superheroes return. So when you had the superheroes kind of fall out of favor um, at the end of World War II, and up until you know the Flash and Showcase Four in, in 1958, it was all genre books, you know, uh, horror, romance, mystery, uh, western. Uh, I think that's when Archie was really big. Now, Superman and Batman and Detective and those were still going, but that was a kind of your more goofy, not, I don't know, kind of kind of stories then in the 50s. 
So I'm wondering if we're kind of like got, going through a cycle because the superheroes came back. Um, and, you know, they've, they've had their nice run, but now we're starting to, you know, get books like from like Vault or, you know, like what we're reading here with uh, the Magnetic Collection from Lions Forge. You know, they're not really superhero books. They're genre books. They're you, Now you're getting like, you know, your crime noir books. Uh, I don't see Westerns coming back. I don't see, well, maybe romance books will come back. Maybe that's how you get more women into uh, into comics. But well, there are some. Yeah. I don't follow that, so I don't couldn't tell you, but I know there are some. Yeah, Shooter became editor in chief in nineteen seventy eight of Marvel. So Secret Wars would have been in the early eighties. About that somewhere in that same time. I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking at the timeline now. It looks like it was Ronnie and Jack, if they're listening to this right at this point or both of them. Looks like like it was early summer early summer of eighty four when Secret Wars number one came out. So Secret Wars came out the same month ASM 252 came out, which I think was the first Spider-Man in the black costume, which predates uh, Secret Wars number eight, which is surprising. Uh, kind of, you know, it looks like Marvel's just been spoiling their events, you know, for 20, 30 years. <laughs> or the, you know, they don't fi- they don't finish a fi- uh, an event before you learn kind of what happens at the end of it. And then it looks like. Crisis One came out in spring of 85. And then Crisis 12 ended in spring of 86. Yeah, about the same time. And then, yeah, the same month Crisis 12 came out is when The Dark Knight number one came out from Miller. Right. Yeah, that was, well, that was the beginning of a golden age for Batman, especially. Yeah, that, that's the copper age for you. Yeah. But, and I think. <laughs> we, we're joking, but I think this ties into independent comics because no matter how much they would like to say otherwise, the independent publishers are very tied into what Marvel and DC are going to do. They're driving the industry. Yeah. And uh, it, it affects it affects everybody. So. Well, and I mean, another milestone, if we want to list those, like a, a couple of months of Secret Wars 1 was the release of T- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one. I think the most successful independent comic franchise there's probably been. Arguably, yeah. And so, I mean, that's your, you know, that's when you got, that's why it kicked off the self, the black and white, the self-published. Uh, everybody saw the success from that. And then you saw like, uh, you know, that's where Poison Elves came out of being influenced like that. Cere- well, Cerebus was the late 70s. And so was uh, ElfQuest, though. ElfQuest was the late, mid to late 70s, which inspired, I think, uh, Cerebus. And then I know the both, I know uh, ElfQuest inspired uh, Poison Elves. And so you just had all these different, uh, you know, independent publishers starting coming out then. And then when did Terry Moore start Strangers in Paradise? Was that the mid 80s? Boy, you would ask me that right now. Well, that is when Love and Rockets came out, correct? Uh, Love and Rockets, they well, they first their first issue they self published in eighty one. Then they went to Fantagraphics, and they started in the fall of eighty two. And that was a that was that's arguably one of the most influential, if not the most influential, 
if you want to call it alternative comic because it really that's what brought underground comics above ground it was the first of those type of comics that really became significantly popular it wasn't popular on a level as some of these other things that we've talked about but and it does have a very I don't want to say a niche audience, but it, there's a very, it's a very specific type of person that likes Love and Rockets and follows it. And you have to have, sadly, it's hard to bring new people in to Love and Rockets because they've, they're, they're doing continuations of stories that they've been telling for years. They don't, mm-hmm. they've not really ever rebooted. The characters have aged. In the 35 years, I mean, they were in their, their early. I mean, they've aged in the comic, yeah, correct? Yeah, they, they were, when they started in the early 80s, Maggie and Hopi, the two main characters, were in their early 20s. They're now into their 50s. So the characters have aged along with the comic book, and it's hard to bring new people in as much as I would, you know, like, as much as I like to proselytize Love and Rockets. It's, it's hard to bring new people in because you can't just easily step right in and start reading well, how many back issues would you have to read to get caught up on? Uh, volume one was 50 issues. Volume two was 20. And then they stopped putting out monthly issues. I'm going to do just an annual collection, a fairly thin trade paperback. They did that for eight years. So there's eight of those. <clears throat> and then just last year, towards the fall of last year, middle of last year, they went back to their monthly magazine format. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, they've collected all of the back stuff in trade paperbacks from Fantagraphics. And I think it would be 10 trade paperbacks, you know, not, not real thin ones, but five, five of those trade paperbacks would be, uh, Stories that Jaime Hernandez wrote. The other would be Gilbert Hernandez. So that's 10 trade paperbacks, which you'd have to read basically to catch up. So it's not sizable, but it's it's a commitment. I mean, are they very verbose? Do they have like the word balloons from the 80s? Or did they tell the story through the panels as opposed to conversations? It, it's some of both. As you can imagine, over 35 years, it's evolved. Their style has changed somewhat, so... It's not. There's some areas that are very verbose, some that are less so. But anyway. Yeah, I, can't, I know Terry Moore is coming back to uh, Strangers in Paradise here soon, and I've been trying to get myself to catch up on that because I've I've read all his other stuff, but I've yet to touch any of that. So I've read Echo, I've read Rachel Rising, and I'm just so sad that Motor Girl is going to end with issue ten. But I have yet to read The Strangers in Paradise, and I, I see the omnibuses. It just looks intimidating. <laughs> All right. Okay. This has the publication date of Strangers in Paradise as from January 1993 until sometime in 2007. Okay, so 93, so it was in the modern age. Right. I was thinking it was a little bit later. I thought it was older. Some of that. I couldn't remember. I was not ready to... <clears throat> say definitively, but okay. So it's a little bit younger than I thought, but I guess '93 was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you are. For Paul and 
Martin, those young guys. Yeah, that was a long time ago. For me, <laughs> not so much. Yeah, but um, isn't there some talk? I remember hearing somebody talk about like DC. Aren't they going to start doing some sh- like bringing back Elseworlds or but doing stuff that's different? Is it is like White Knight? That they're currently putting out one of their things they're experimenting with where they're going to do little limited series out of continuity, like books of, on characters just because, you know, people are not – are wanting to read something different or different takes and kind of getting away from the ongoings like we were talking about. Well, they've – DC's kind of done a couple of things. They, they reintroduced or relaunched their um, – Gosh, now I'm drawing a blank. Well, we're going to have to edit out this pause. Yeah, let me figure it out. Mother Panic is one of them, one of the titles. Oh, the Young Animal? Young Animal, yeah. They reintroduced their Young Animal line. There was a comic book out today. I started to pick it up, but I didn't, I hesitated it was called Gotham City Garage. Yeah, but is that another format to get more Harley Quinn out there? I I don't know. It could be. It does seem DC is going more Batman-centric with all the stuff going on right now with metal and and everything. But, of course, DC was named after Detective Comics. Well, I mean, and it's always been pretty much... Batman is their, and they will say it, they will tell you that, Batman is their flagship title. That is, everything centers around that. Um, And they, that's the thing that they will mess with the least. If you think about it, like on Rebirth, of all the titles they did in Rebirth, Batman probably changed very little from 52. And 52, and 52, Batman wasn't all that much different than pre-52 Batman. That's, that's, you don't mess with Batman. <laughs> I mean. Except that, he, except that he died and kind of came back younger. Well, yeah, but he, he died in the pre-52 <laughs> Batman. He, Bruce Wayne died then too. He didn't come back younger, but, uh, um, they did that before the new 52 as well. So that was Grant yeah, Morrison. And I guess that is something. That I kind of like, like you were talking about with Love and Rockets, how they age the characters along with it. You can't really do that with an ongoing that goes, you know, what, are we about to hit a thousand with action comics and about to hit a thousand with detective comics? Of course, Batman didn't show up to issue 27 of Detective, but that's still 973 issues. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's that's quite a, well, when you're talking about a different, type of story. I mean, Batman's just not a character that you can, I'm not, I'm talking crazy now, but I mean, Loving Rockets, it's not a superhero. Although there's some superhero type stuff in there. Mostly it's parody and making fun of, but it's really, it's, it's telling the story of these group of people. Maggie and Hopi in their circle of friends and how they're getting through life in Southern California start in the start in the eighties, you know, a couple of two young women, punk rockers. Maggie is a mechanic. 
and there were some science fiction elements, and they've just aged. It it makes but sense. They're gonna have, but they're going to have an ending to their story eventually. Do you feel? At, at some point, yeah, When whenever the Hernandez brothers get tired of it. But it's also, you know, they're aging as well. When they started writing this, they were in their early 20s. So now, now they're into their 50s. So it makes sense that they're aging their characters because now their life experience is such that. Um, in fact, I heard an interview with them. It was at Heroes Con. A panel that they did, and they were talking about how he doesn't, you know, they, they don't think some people kind of are against them aging their characters. They want the same thing that they had 30 years ago. And I think it was Jaime that was talking about it. I can't do that anymore. I, don't, I can't write about what it's like to be 23 anymore. I'm not. I'm in my 50s, and this is the, you know, 2017, and it's just. He just didn't feel like he could do that anymore. But I mean, you, you know, how could you do that? I mean, if, you, if you aged Batman from nineteen, uh, so he'd be into his nearly eighty right now. <laughs> well, it'd be like he is in Batman Beyond. Well, that's true, but I'm not sure. It just wouldn't work as well. It just wouldn't work as well. Yeah, but I guess is that when you get some, you know, so that's I guess that's what's kind of nice about the independence. Um, I guess they had the freedom to start a story, have the middle, and end it. Because, I mean, I guess that's one of the tropes is, you know, with ongoings and ongoings is the status quo doesn't change. I mean, I think we've heard some people talk about it. You get, they bring in new writers, they bring in new teams, and they pull out the toys, but then they got to put the toys back in the chest just like they found them. There's no character development. There's no character consequences. Right? right, because you got to maintain the status quo that you've maintained for X number of decades. Where with independence, you know, you know, things happen. I'm still waiting. Do you know of any like series where you've had a, like a main character and you're kind of going through the story, and then they just kill them off, and then they finish off the story? I'm trying to think of one. You, you know, somebody's had to have done something like that. I'm not exactly following what you're saying. Well, you know, well. You know, I guess a, a story where the, the the main characters they go through their story and then it ends and that's that's over with. I guess some of Lemire's work, like um, yeah. like uh, what was it, Essex County? I think I heard y'all talk about that. Definitely had an ending to it, did it not? Yeah. Oh well, yeah. If you're talking about that, there's any number of comics that are like that. Um, Lemire. I'm trying to think of some examples from Kent, but one's not coming to mind. But certainly in uh, uh, independent books, that happens fairly regularly where you have a complete story and where I don't think the author's ever intending to bring it back for another subsequent arc. But there are a lot of them that that are that way, so... Well, they got their story to tell, and when they get through telling it, it's time to move off to something else. Because I guess what you find out in the Independence, so the, the the you know the big the big two help you make the house payments. Yeah. But yeah. your independent work is the stories that you're wanting to tell. 
Well, I can think of two right off the bat that you and I have talked about. No Summer or Black Summer and No Hero. Mm-hmm. Those were beginning, middle, and end. There's no, there was no, uh, no sequel to those <laughs> possible. This is, this is true. So that's, that's two right off the top of my head that just came to mind. Yeah, I will say that like, I haven't, there's nothing coming out from Avatar lately that I've been reading other than Garth Ennis's war stories, which, which I thoroughly enjoy. I highly recommend those to anybody. I think it's like on hiatus right now for a couple of months. Right. But if, if there's one thing Garth Ennis can write, it's uh, war stories. And right now he's doing a Punisher miniseries, which I, I love Garth Ennis on Punisher. So I'm going to, you know, I hardly ever do it, plug Marvel, but it, it's be highly worth to get it. It's kind of, uh, I don't know if it's out of their Max line or not, but it's the same create. It's the same team that did uh, Fury, My War's Gone By, which which was very a very excellent 13 issue series, also. Right. So, but yeah, Garth Ennis does great war war stories, and he tells you he and, and, and these characters they have beginnings, middles, and ends, and you know, and with war stories, the ends aren't always pretty. <laughs> no, rarely are. But again, that's another genre book, and I think that was another big, big thing. And going back to how, like, how I got into comics when I was growing up, I didn't buy comics. When I ended up, I ended up getting my uncle's, who was probably ten years older than me, getting his box of comics and reading them and rereading them. And so he had a bunch from like the fifties and the sixties, and it was all war comics. So growing up, I was reading all these stories about World War II and the island of uh, the Forgotten Island with the dinosaurs on it, with the where the uh, army guys would land on, and they'd have to figure out how to get off and everything and and such. So that was actually my I got a soft spot in my heart for like the old war comics from like the fifties and the sixties. Right. But you know that's another genre comic, and you kind of see that coming back, like Garth Ennis is doing it. Uh, I think. Who is it? I think is it Av- is Avatar doing Uber? Ah, uh, may not be them. I forget who it is, but you know, you got Uber, which is an alternate history of World War II. Um, so you're, I think we're, you know, you're seeing the independent comics starting to bring back these genres that uh, Marvel and DC were doing back in the fifties and the sixties, and I think they're finding a niche for that. Uh, you know, because people want something different. Yeah. Well, let's hope that's. One of the reasons for, I think, independent comics is it does, you don't, you're not stuck in formulas of, you know, this is the, this is the kind, this is the kind of story we tell. This is what people expect from us. Well, is it a bigger sandbox or is it more constraints because you're trying to make it more real world or near future? I don't, that's a good question. Because ghost money is definitely near future. And issue two had some stuff in it. Like, so I think it's set 20, it was written in like the late 2000, 2008, 2009. I think it's set in 2020 and they were doing some stuff in issue two is kind of like, well, that's about three years out. And some of it I could see and some of it I'm kind of like, wow, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty intense. Yeah. (laughs) So is that all we got tonight, Jay? That's, that's all I've got. All right. Well, we'll be signing off. Um, so. I guess we will see you next episode. But yes, thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again. Good night. Good night.
Pathetic. Boom. Nerdy Legion. NerdyLegion.com. Ah!